Well, it is an honor for me to be here. Uh, you don't know this, but I knew you before you existed. That's right, when you were just a, a twinkle in a group of, a young group of, of, uh, of uh, leaders that were dreaming about this church. And I remember them sitting in my dining room. I don't know how many years ago that was. It's a long time ago. But they were dreaming about planting this church. And, uh, and my wife and I, of course, were delighted to, to listen to them and to pray with them and to encourage them and to see you now uh, is, a, is, for me, very satisfying. So uh, I bring big love from Brooklyn uh, and the, um, the greater New York City uh, area vineyards that you're part of, the family that you're part of. And um, I, um, my wife and I, my wife is right here, that's Shaw. Um, we pastored in, yeah, you should give her a big hand because she's had to put up with me for over 50 years. But um, um, we pastored uh, vineyard churches in Brooklyn and in Manhattan uh, for almost, well, over 38 years. But now we, um, we're sort of like spiritual grandparents in the vineyard. And we uh, now spend all our time taking care of pastors and leaders in, uh, in the vineyard and outside the vineyard. Uh, I, I, um, we care for pastors uh, in the vineyard, uh, outside the vineyard. Was, you know, pastors are pastors. So, uh, and it's a uh, joy to be here with you. So I want to share, you know, when I received Pastor Joshua's invitation and began to prepare for tonight, I got this impression to call your attention to the fact that you, Elm City Vineyard, are a prophetic community. Got deadly silent just then, like. So I prayed about that. And I did some digging around to what that actually might mean. But before I give you my take on that, uh, we'll first have to take a look at what I call the big picture of Pentecost. So I'm going to take you on a whirlwind tour of scripture. Okay in order to finally uh, give you what I mean by being a prophetic community, okay? Pentecost is probably the most underappreciated and undervalued holy day observed by the church. And that's because in general, it, the church has lost sight of the big picture and reduced Pentecost to simply a, 
uh, private, personal experience. Blunting and muffling the prophetic impact that Pentecost carried. You see, God has always had a master plan. And that, he, he is stuck to that plan from the very beginning. His plan was always to dwell with his creation and have a home, a family, and a family business. And in Genesis 1 and 2, God isn't just building a universe. He's building a house for himself. See? A temple where he would live in his world, sharing his existence of love among, you know, among his, his, his cherished, most cherished prized creation, human beings. He wanted to be our father, sharing and producing life in his creation together with us. Apparently, at that time, heaven and earth were joined as one. And we find God walking in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and enjoying, you know, they're enjoying each other's company. Life is good. But that didn't last that long. You know the story. There were serious, serious family problems. Sin ruins the relationship between God and his creation, forcing God to banish Adam and Eve from the garden. Heaven and earth separate. And sin forms a wall between humans and their creator. And although God continued to speak to people and to rule over history, he wasn't directly present in the same way he was in Eden. And as a consequence, God's presence becomes dangerously holy, yet still needful and wonderfully encouraging to sinful humans. Safety precautions had to be carefully followed at the risk of death. His presence is restricted, but nevertheless, God is determined to have a home, a family, and a family that would share in his family business. We read things like, I will live in them, and I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
So when the time was just right, God sent his son to reconcile himself to all things by his death on the cross. Ending the estrangement between humans and God. What sin disrupted, Jesus restores. Jesus himself replaces the temple. He is now the new temple in person. Everything that normally happened in the temple is fulfilled in him, but without the restrictions and without the danger. And when he had once and for all removed the barrier of sin by making sacrifice on the cross, the way into God's presence now is open again. And with Christ's resurrection, the final stage of God's plan to dwell again with his people was in full swing. So just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he orders his disciples to wait for the gift that the Father promised. Of course, he's referring to the promise made through the prophets that God would one day pour out his spirit and make his home again with humanity, adopting them into his own family and bringing them into the family business once again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. God calls and equips them to their original human vocation as image bearers and kingdom bringers. Now, all of this that I've just covered is necessary background in order to appreciate what happened next. The arrival of the Holy Spirit in grand fashion. <clears throat> the house where the disciples were staying was shaking. A gale force wind blows and fires appears. Two worlds collide, heaven and earth. God comes out of his old house and enters a new house, filling his new temple, the hearts of believers. Peter, in a stroke of divine inspiration, quotes the prophet Joel. And what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel, 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, <clears throat> I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. He explains to a bewildered, multinational crowd what's going on. Take a look around you. Read the signs. They're right in front of you. This is God's spirit being poured out. This is the start of new creation. The last days the prophet spoke of have been set into motion. This is what we've all been waiting for. The time for God's promises to be fulfilled has finally arrived. And all sorts of new things are going to start happening. God's presence is with us. He's regathering his family. You see, at Pentecost, you might say God changed his address. Now we, his followers, followers of Jesus, are his new house. The creator God who dwelt among humans in, the, in Eden, who hid mysteriously behind the curtain in the tabernacle and in the temple, and who filled the human Christ, was now dwelling within his new temple people. By his spirit, united to God and to one another as members of his new family, the church. <clears throat> what the Spirit created on the day of Pentecost was a new dynamic community, a diverse yet unified family the corporate body of believers, the church. The church is now God's house, the place where he lives. Now, I'm not making this up. Paul said to the Ephesians, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple. <clears throat> in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by his spirit. Filled with his spirit, that group of followers 
became God's mobile temples, the corporate body of Christ, through which he would conduct his family business now. The family business of reconciling the world to himself and extending his kingdom. Wherever they went, they bore witness to the living God who was living in them. Living as though the world had changed, and it had. Jesus was now in charge. The world had a new king. See? And so they lived differently, prophetically, proclaiming and demonstrating a new reality. The world now had a new king, Jesus, living out a new way of being human, loving one another, loving their neighbors, extending forgiveness to their, to their enemies, caring for the poor, healing the distressed, healing the sick carrying on all the things that Jesus had begun doing when he was on earth. See? But there's even more to the story of Pentecost. The book of Revelation. The book of Revelation gives us a glimpse of the grand finale. If the day of Pentecost was the beginning, what we see in Revelation is the grand finale. And what do we see? A wedding. The union of heaven and earth. With God announcing his plan has been finally fulfilled. He's come to live with humanity forever and that he's making everything new. So John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and they, God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Then the angel showed me a river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree 
are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. What we have here is an all-new Garden of Eden, now a garden city, built by God, not by human hands. A new world of eternal life with God. All human cultures, all the nations are there with God, working together to take new creation into uncharted territory. But there's something missing here. There's no temple in the new creation. The presence of God that was once limited to the temple building now permeates every square inch of the new universe. All of the new creation will be God's holy of holies. God's presence will fill the whole earth. God will have his home. I heard a loud voice shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and he will be, <clears throat> they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will have his family. To all who are thirsty, I give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. And they will carry out his family business. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, and they will reign forever and ever. His promises are kept, and the plan is fulfilled. That should make you smile. This is the grand cosmic picture. The fulfillment of the promise that is held out to us by Pentecost. The completion of God's plan. God's domain and our domain will one day completely unite. All things will be made new. Death will be replaced by life. Every nation will be blessed through the power of the resurrected Jesus. All of new creation will be the holy of holies. God's own personal presence will soak the new creation, flooding it with light. It all sounds too good to be true. 
but it's not. God has given us proof that it's not just a fairy tale. Speaking of new creation, Paul writes, God himself has prepared us for this. He's talking about new creation, this new world, this future. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit now. In other words, the Spirit has been poured out as a deposit, a first installment, if you will, of this new world, making it real in the present right now. <clears throat> the Spirit gives us a, a taste of God's future world inside of us. The Apostle Peter called it our living hope. Living, because it has power, power from the future that produces profound changes in the way we live here and now. A living hope that has power to push out fear and anxiety that we experience in this uncertain world in which we live in right now and replaces it <clears throat> with his confidence and with his peace. Hope that, that overcomes greed in a selfish world in which we live and replaces it with generosity. Hope that motivates and energizes us towards godly living in an ungodly world. Hope that compels us to share the, this good news with our families and with our friends and with our neighbors and with our coworkers and our fellow students. Power that turns his family into prophetic agents of hope in a dark and despairing world. Now we've arrived at where I began in my talk. What does it mean then for Elm City, the Elm City Vineyard, to be a prophetic community here in New Haven? The word prophetic is thrown out around a lot. Depending on the circle you run in, it means something different. Right? Here in the vineyard, it could mean a combination of things. Prophetic. Well, for, for some of the, the more charismatic among us, it, means, it might mean speaking a, a now word of, of God, bringing fresh insight, offering guidance, uh, warning, insight, encouragement, comfort. 
and sometimes doing it in a spontaneously, naturally, supernatural way. To the more social justice-minded among us, it means addressing social issues, encouraging individuals and communities to work together for a, a better, fairer world, advocating for justice and reform. And for others, it involves relevant teaching and preaching based on biblical principles, encouraging righteous living, and calling people to repentance and reconciliation with God and each other. But in light of the big picture of Pentecost, all three, I think, are expanded and enhanced. Being prophetic, uh, a prophetic church has to do with God's intention to have a home, a family, that's engaged in the family business here in New Haven. In the, in the Old Testament, two words are used to describe a prophet. One roughly means one who sees, a seer. The other loosely translating is uh, one who speaks, particularly on behalf of another. A prophet was able to speak a revealing word because he or she saw something others didn't, something hidden to others. They saw a different world and spoke a different word. As seers, they saw the world from God's perspective. They saw what he was doing and spoke and acted. What they saw, they acted it out in ways that revealed God's heart. See? And what is God up to today? What's his business? The same as it always has been. He's saving, he's rescuing, he's blessing, he's providing, he's judging, he's healing. He's enlightening. God is in continuous battle against evil, cruelty, unhappiness, illness, pain, superstition, and ignorance in the world. God is for life. He's against death. He, he's for love and against hate. He's for hope and against despair. He's for heaven 
and against hell. Elm City, as a prophetic community, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit in and through which God is conducting his family business. Awake you know, to God's presence, alert to what he's doing, energized by the hope of glory, surrendered to the Holy Spirit in everything. A community where the gospel truth is setting people free where healing and reconciliation is happening, where God is saving and creating a new kind of human being. A prophetic community doesn't care for the poor or feed the hungry or speak for the marginalized for the same reason social activists do. They may take part in the same march. They may use the same hashtag. But a prophetic Christian community is motivated, motivated by something different than an activist. They're not in this, ultimately, to create change or solve problems. A prophetic Christian community is driven to act and speak because they have a different future. And they know it. They see a different world. God's new creation. They, they, have, a, they have a down payment of the new world living in them. And they're motivated and empowered by a living hope. Consequently, their results different. As different as old wineskins are from new wineskins. The results are ultimately, the results that ultimately transform reality. Eternal results that last forever. When you love your neighbor, care for the poor, forgive your enemies, practice hospitality and generosity, each <clears throat> reach out to the underdog, the lost, set the captives free, heal the sick, heal the broken, share your faith. You're not doing these things simply to be good humanitarians or to solve a global crisis. You're doing <clears throat> You're being a prophetic people. Signposts pointing to God's future. You're bearing witness to your living hope. Sampling the power from the future in the present because the Holy Spirit has, has been given to us at Pentecost. Living prophetically, pointing towards the day when the kingdom comes in fullness on earth as it is in heaven, when every tear will be wiped away, 
and when suffering will be no more. Pastor and author Glenn Pickham put it this way, and I, I just quote this to end. The church is at its prophetic best when it lives in a way that would make no sense unless Jesus is king and his kingdom really were arriving here and now. That is why a prophetic church does not divide up evangelism, miracles, and justice. We see them as a threefold cord. A prophetic church announces the forgiveness of sins, healing for the sick, and justice for the oppressed in Jesus' name. We do it all. Elm City Vineyard, this is who you are made to be. You are his house, members of his family, engaged in his family business, the kingdom of God. This is God's agenda for you. This is your prophetic mission. Don't let the deconstructing hurricane forced winds of current events shape, you know, that, that's shaping our world right now, shaping our lives. Don't let it blow you off course. Live out God's kingdom, proclaim the kingdom, do the work of the kingdom. The kingdom, it's the total answer to humanity's total need, totally. And we carry it. We carry it in us. It comes through us to others. quiet in here. I hope inside you're yelling and screaming. Wow, that's great. None of this is possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. We're in deep waters here. We need him. None of this is possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. So tonight, in closing, let's ask him to come. Let's ask him to fill us again. And remember this, to be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean we get more of him. He's living in you. He's making his home in you. You don't get more of him. He gets more of you. That's what the, that word filling, actually, the connotation really means control. He gets more control. He gets more access. He gets more of me.
Each one of you has a part to play in this family business. Each one of you. I know some of you are in here saying, hey, you know, I come to church, I go, I show up to home group every once in a while, you know, I'm doing my job, I'm doing my, you know, I'm a busy person. Yes, you are. But what you do is part of his business. Paul said, whatever you do, whatever. Are you a, a plumber? Do it. Do your plumbing the way Jesus would do your plumbing if he would a plumber. Are you a stay-at-home dad? Be a stay-at-home dad the way Jesus would be a stay-at-home dad if he was the father of your children. Are you a, 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 are you a, a, a professor? Be a professor the way Jesus would be a professor if he was teaching your, your students. Each one of us has a part to play. Each one of you, the Holy Spirit, you have a role. You do. Some of it is going to be here in the church, and some of it is going to be out there where you, where you live. But you all together combined are a prophetic community messaging the reality that there's a new world, and it's already started. It started with Jesus. And it continues with this. So, let's stand. Let the Holy Spirit show you who you are. Let the Holy Spirit show you your big purpose for your life. Let the Holy Spirit show you your place. Let him. All he needs is your willingness. All he needs is a resting place for his spirit to have his way. And for some of you, that can start tonight. And for others here, it can be renewed and revived. Now, already, I know when, whenever there's this, most of you have been around, you know, when, when this moment comes in the service where we say, we're going to pray, come Holy Spirit, you know, then we start to get tense. We get nervous. We go, oh, okay, Jesus, what, how do I, what do I do when he comes? What do I, and we get all self-conscious and all, you know. But let me tell you, it works the opposite. Would you just relax right now? Can you, can you, do your best to just relax. You know, how many have sat in a hot tub? Do you do a lot of work in the hot tub? The hot tub does the work. When we're in God's presence, we need to let him do what he wants to do. He wants to love you. He actually wants you to experience his love in a deeper way right now so you'll be motivated to trust him and use your life so relax relax quiet yourself some of you guys use your head too much you analyze the holy spirit into into small boxes Let, just relax okay
Come, Holy Spirit. Fill your house again. Fill each one of us again as we surrender to you. As we give ourselves to you. I'm going to ask some of you to take your hands out of your pocket. Take your hands from behind your back because we don't know what to do with ourselves. So we put our hands up high and I, and I say, assume the position. Like little children asking. It, this is not magic, this position, but what it does, it, it actually speaks of what's going on in my heart. I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. Come, Lord. You know, each one of us are individuals, and we experience God's presence differently, individually. And so some of us, you know, we don't all react and experience the Holy Spirit the same way as everybody else. And some of you right now are experiencing a quiet peace. Just a peace. It feels good. That's the Spirit of the Lord. Others, right now as I'm speaking, you feel energy on your body. Like a little tingling in your hands, on your face. That's His presence resting on you. Some of you are feeling warm, warm, heat. That's just the way you're reacting to his presence. More. Fill us. We dedicate ourselves to you, to your, make your home in us, among us. Lord, we say yes. Use us. We want to be in your family business. Lord, speak. Let each person know their place. How you want to use them. How do you want to use their lives? Come, Holy Spirit. 